see a man who excels in his work, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for today. It's a day that you have made, and indeed we will rejoice in that. We pray today for Pastor as he comes up here to, to, uh, to give to us what you've laid upon his heart. God, I pray you'd give him focus on what he has studied and what he has prepared. I pray you would, uh, you would work through him, give him clarity of thought. I pray for us as we sit in the auditorium and receive this. I pray that you would stifle uh, distractions, you, you would hush conversations, and that we would be attentive to you. I pray your Holy Spirit would have free reign among us today, and that decisions will be made for your kingdom today. As he sings in Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Bart. Good morning once again, and if you have your Bibles open to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29, you can uh, turn now to Genesis chapter 37. Thank you. So just go right ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37, and we're gonna we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna take a promenade through the uh, books through the chapters of the book of uh, Genesis as we. Uh, close that book out looking at something very interesting. You should have picked up, if you didn't, and every week you can, you can pick up a copy of the scripture sheet. It's kind of like a listening guide. Helps you jot down a few things to remember. And it also uh, have uh, Denise and her team have been putting the, uh, putting the study guide in the back. Uh, today, there really are very few, if any, classes going on. But we contemplated not doing it, but we would like you to interact with what I'm going to say this morning on your own, maybe at home, uh, maybe with your family, just sit down and talk about it. Some good questions that have been included there. So I encourage you to do that. Now I have a Labor Day sermon. This is Labor Day. Happy Labor Day to everybody. God bless you. Hope you have, you know, a hot dog planned or something. And uh, so we, it's Labor Day and we are, uh, we're celebrating that wonderful holiday and celebrating the fact that uh, as negative as things can be, we can rejoice because uh, God has still allowed us to be in a place where most of us can have an income. Praise the Lord. I thank you for that. And we can work. I have a Labor Day sermon. The name of that sermon is The Right to Work. I've preached it before here at this church. I read through it and I said, you know what? (laughs) That is worth repeating. Uh, The prophets and the apostles, they repeated their sermons quite often. And and I thought, man, I'm just going to, and then it seemed like the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and said, uh, no, you're not going to do that. I want you to do something else. I want you to read one verse. And we did it from uh, Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Just that whole phrase, do you see a man, a woman, a person, a child, a teenager? Do you see someone who excels in his work? They will stand before kings. That's awesome. We spend a lot of time over many years working at some task. How many of you are still at this point gainfully employed at some location? Please raise your hand. How many of you are rejoicing in and you are living off of what you used to be employed doing and now you're living off that? Raise your hand. All right. God bless you. How many of you are suffering with the government? I won't say that. I just won't say that. (laughs) So... Uh, we've all, we all know that uh, for much of our life, uh, we get involved with a task, provides for us, for our families, and for our fellow man. I want to just go on record once again and say the worst, the worst concept that's hit the United States of America is, is that 
work is some kind of a punishment or it's some kind of a curse. It's not a punishment. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. In fact, uh, God works, Jesus works, and I think those made in his image ought to work, don't you? Amen. Amen. That's the way it is. So in the United States, people that want to work can work. I, um, I drive home by way of Delaware Avenue sometimes, and uh, usually I go up the expressway because lunch is ready and I want to get there quick. But uh, a lot of times I, I drive up Delaware, and I've been amazed at all of the help wanted signs. I've been tempted just to walk in and see what they need, you know. But I do have a job. So uh, it's, it's just kind of interesting. And uh, uh, we have many problems in the United States right now, but uh, people from all over the globe are still trying to get here because there's hope that they might be able to have a job. And so we need to thank God for that. The Bible says, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. It's right in the codification of the law, the Ten Commandments that was taught to parents that were supposed to teach their children. And mom and dad, one of the best things you can ever do is set an example and an expectation that your children and your teenagers grow up learning that it's a good thing to work. And so, six days you shall labor and do all your work. I reiterate that the Ten Commandments given in the book of Exodus and again in the book of Deuteronomy were given not in the context of a local New Testament church, nor were they given from the point of a government. They were given to parents to teach their children. Ten Commandments. These are the parents. Parents, teach your children these things. And if these things were being taught at home, America would be in a different shape today. So important. Now, God ordained work. And the first job for man was uh, real simple. It was in a garden. God gave man a job and it was in a garden. And I have to confess that uh, I should have been born at another time, I think. I, I, I love the dirt. <laughs> I guess I'm just a dirt bag that you have for a pastor. <laughs> I love the dirt. I love the soil. I, I must be kin to King Uzziah in the Bible because the Bible says he was very, very prosperous and he loved the soil. Specifically said the guy loved the soil, and he was very, very good at uh, developing agriculture in his time. I really haven't had a good day until I get my hands dirty, to be honest. I love it when somebody is not afraid of work. Now, Michael and Melody moved here a few years ago. I mean, matter of fact, we met them, sent them away to get married. They came back, and I mean, they've been here ever since, and I mean, they had not had much of a break since then. And it was kind of interesting. <laughs> I'm picking on them a little bit. We had not, they had not been here very long before they bought their first house. And when they bought their first house, Bonnie and I were doing something very interesting. We were removing the rocks from our flower beds. You say, how do you do that? On your knees with your fingers, scratching them out. Because you really can't plant all the things that Bonnie likes to plant if the rocks are in there. So we're down there and Jeff Lang, I don't know where you are. He got involved. He was helping me. So <laughs> we were taking the rocks out of the flower beds on our knees, <clears throat> wanting to plant other plants and flowers and such. And there were lots of rocks, tons of rocks. Somehow Michael heard that I was getting rid of rocks and he wanted some. So I said, well, you're welcome to them. So he showed up one morning, got right down on his knees beside me and Bonnie and dug out rocks for hours and hours. And I was impressed. I loved the guy ever since. As soon as I saw him down working like that, he was just working. I was impressed. He's not afraid of work, not afraid of getting his hands dirty. To be honest, I don't know if I can trust a man who doesn't like to get his hands dirty. So uh, I got a little note that I just, it just occurred to me uh, this morning as I was going over this. You heard Andrew just a few moments ago talking about all of the volunteers. And I, I, want, to second, I want to second his comment and his commendation, his gratitude. 
Boy, what a, what, a, what a church you are to have over 200 volunteers show up to help with an event. Now, can we give God the glory for a volunteer church? Amen. Amen. Well, as you know, there's a before, during, and after of every event. And a lot of people are, they're there before the event. And a lot of people love the event and they really get involved during the event. But, you know, just as soon as you lights start going out and there's the after part of an event, there's a lot of, you know, get it together, clean up and everything like that. And boy, many people stayed around. I mean, within an hour and 10 minutes or so, almost everything was completely done. But we were at the button it up station, the button it up spot. That is close the doors on the containers, you know. (laughs) We were out there and Jonathan was out there. Andrew was out there. A few of the older kids were out there. But I just have to tell you something, somebody I'm really, 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 really proud of. There were a bunch of, thank you for that note back there. That dog just said he barked. So I want to tell you about one group I'm really proud of. I am proud of the freshman class of Grace Church who showed up and they were there at the very end working and sweating and putting things away. Can we give it a hand for the freshman class, man? They were, it was awesome. I still, I was just, I know that feeling whenever Harrison Pike closed the door on that last container and slammed it down. And I just had that feeling of, wow, man hour and 15 and a half or 16 minutes and the whole thing is done. And wow, that is fantastic. Now look, God designed it so that as co-regents with him, we're to manage his planet with all of its resources. We're to provide for ourselves and other people. And it takes work to do that. The truth is all of us in some way, shape, form, or fashion are in earth management as an occupation. What we're doing is we're managing what God has given us. So somebody's going to say, Pastor, this is all interesting. It's all Labor Day related. Where are we going with this? Well, I'm going to look at a bigger purpose of our work in that multi-act drama played out in the life of Joseph. What Joseph are you talking? I'm talking about that Joseph who, when he was 17, began 13 years of incredible difficulty before he got to the place where he really wanted to arrive and what God had planned for him. Joseph. Take your Bibles and look there at Genesis chapter 37. Briefly, let me read a little bit. 37 verse 2, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Tattletale, somebody's going to say. Well, no, he'd been commissioned by his father to go see how they were doing. And Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a tunic of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him. Could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And indeed your sheave stood all around and bowed down to mine sheave. And his brother said to him, shall you, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? What a snotty nosed punk they thought. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed still another dream and told his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and even 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter 
in mind. And I'm only going to read that part and tell most of the story. So Joseph was 17 years old and he was a shepherd. He was trusted by his father. He was favored by his father. He was commissioned by his father to check up on the brothers who were tending the family flocks. And he went to Shechem to try to find them. Now, I just want to stop and say there's a greater story here, even than the story I'm going to talk about today. And that is, is the beautiful picture that Joseph is, an Old Testament shadow and picture and forecast of the person of Jesus. There's no better typology in the Old Testament of a biography of an individual that matches Jesus more than Joseph, more than 40 similarities and 40 equivalencies between Joseph and Jesus. I mean... So many of them, 30 pieces of the 30 pieces of silver, the 30 years of age, I could go on and on. That's a huge story. It's a sermon for another time, but I'm talking about a little something different this morning. So he went to Shechem. They weren't there. They had moved to Dothan looking for better pasture land. And Joseph, as he approached the brothers, hatched a plan to kill him. You know this story. If you've been to Sunday school ever at all, or even heard the preaching from this pulpit, The brothers hatched a plan to kill him and they were going to blame it on wild animals. Why were they going to kill him? Well, he was their father's pet. He got special treatment. He was a dreamer. He had some dreams that suggested he was going to be elevated above them and that they would pay homage and obeisance to him. They thought, well, look, you little punk, we're going to fix you. And you know the story. Reuben, the oldest, if he hadn't been there, they would have killed him. But instead, they threw him into a dry pit. Well, while Reuben's back was turned or in some other place, the brothers pulled him out of the pit and sold him to a caravan of Midianite traders headed to Egypt. It's interesting, not only did his direct brothers betray him, but his distant relatives, his his cousins through Keturah, who was the second wife of Abraham, descendancy of Abraham as well, they also betrayed him and they took him away to Egypt. I'm sure they thought that uh, these brothers did, that they were done with Joseph. I just wonder, has anybody here ever, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been betrayed by family? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody you thought you could trust? Have you ever been betrayed in that way? Well, Joseph is the poster child for betrayal. Well, how about this? Have you ever been rewarded with hatred and spite and evil scheming for what you were actually employed to do? Hmm, That's an interesting thought. Let's go to the second scene. The second scene has to do with slave labor, slave labor. Flip to chapter uh, 39, excuse me, 39, verse 1. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian brought him from the Ishmaelites. They were Ishmaelites and Midianites closely associated who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Look at verse 2. What does it say? What does it say there? It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Hmm. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master of the Egyptians. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. He found favor in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had, and he put on, he, all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Does that remind you of anything? Abraham, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be a what? Blessing Blessing to everybody. The Egyptians were blessed because of Joseph. Amazing. 
And so the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And I'll stop right there in verse number six. Slave labor. Imagine the indignity of being dragged in chains from Dothan to Egypt across the desert. Psalm 107 verse 17 talks about it. It says, speaking, the Lord talking about Joseph said, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And here's what his slavery was like, the trip. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in iron. So, I mean, this wasn't some, you know, it wasn't, he didn't take a caravan ride. He didn't jump on the back of a camel. They drug him to Egypt. So when he got there, he was taken to a market like where you sell animals and they looked him over and prodded him and poked him, probably made him open his mouth and looked at his teeth to see the condition of his teeth. And so he was sold as a slave and he was bought by the captain of Pharaoh's guards. That is whoever was in charge of guarding Pharaoh, that's who this man was in charge of. He was in charge of the guard of the Pharaoh. So there he was in Potiphar's house. He was a slave and he had a choice to make. Everybody's got a choice to make in every job you ever have. How many of you have ever had a job and it just wasn't quite what you wanted? Did you ever have a job that just wasn't quite? Yeah. Well, there he was in Potiphar's house. He was a slave. He didn't have any choices, but then he did have some choices. He didn't have any choice about what he was going to do, how he was going to live, what he was going to eat, where he was going to sleep, what he was going to wear. He didn't have any choices at all about that. But he did have a choice about how to react. I'm sure that he was thinking, this is not what I anticipated. Doesn't look anything like my dreams. But in his mind, I think I can trust God and do this job in front of me to the best of my ability. Let me just say that phrase again. I believe I can trust God and I can do this job in front of me to the best of my ability. That is a very important concept from the whole story of Joseph. How many of you believe God is sovereign? Say amen. How many of you believe God really is very large and he is in charge? Say amen. How many of you think God knows about every step of your life from the beginning to the end? Say amen. Do you think God had taken a nap when Joseph was going through this? I can trust God and do this job in front of me to the best of my ability, or I can complain to God, rebel, and hate every minute of it. Joseph chose to believe God and trust what God had revealed to him, so he chose to believe God was in charge even when it was hard. He chose to believe that God was in charge even when it was hard. Would you like me to say that again? He chose to believe that God was in charge even when it was hard. Does God ever ask us to do hard things? Time to make a couple of observations and applications. Before, I mean, we're going point by point, but it, you know, it's kind of hard to go all the way through. There's so much here. Application and observation. The first thing is the difficulty of hardship. The difficulty and hardship of the moment we're in does not mean God is not with us. The difficulty and the hard, how many of you ever go through difficulties? How many of you are in difficulty? The difficulty and hardship of the moment does not mean God is not with us. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a vacation. He is not forgetful. He keeps his promises. Second, we are to do the job in front of us to the best of our ability. What did Joseph do with the job? Now, listen, there was no hopes of 
There was no hopes of improvement, no hopes that he was going to get a raise. There was no hopes of job elevation. That's not what was happening. He was a slave. So he, here's what he did. We are to do the job in front of us to the best of our ability. You say, well, that was really great for Joseph, but things like that don't happen today. How many of you think God of the God of Joseph is a different God than the God of the 20, 21st century? Nope. Same God. Joseph's industry and his work habits and his willingness to identify himself with his God was noticed by Potiphar, his owner. Let me say that again. You say, you're making these points over and over. Yeah, you, you just, sometimes we just say them and you don't even hear them. They just go through, you know, like an echo chamber. <laughs> so just listen here for a second. Joseph's industry and work habits and his willingness to identify himself with his God was noticed by Potiphar, his owner. Evidently, Joseph wasn't mum about the whole idea that he belonged in Israel and that his God was Yahweh. He didn't hide from that fact. You say, how do you know that? Because even Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with him and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And in fact, Potiphar prospered because of the presence of of Joseph. It is not wrong for your business owner and for your bosses to prosper because of the efforts that you put forth. Even Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with him. Potiphar prospered. Joseph then was trusted and yes, rewarded. And yes, he was promoted as far as he could be as a slave in the house. Do you know what? Even pagans recognize excellence in our work. Scene three, let's move on. We're going to move to Pharaoh's dungeon. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, he is thriving in Potiphar's house. Why not just stay there? It wasn't up to him because he had another test. Genesis chapter seven, uh, 39 and verse 7 tells the story, and I'm not going to read it for lack of time, but he's still in Potiphar's house, and Joseph's faithful and honest labors had prospered his owner and blessed that house, and he was in charge of everything. The only thing that... Potiphar knew anything about was what was for supper. That's all he knew. And Joseph was a blessing there. Evidently, Joseph was a physical specimen of manhood. I didn't write this in the Bible, and I don't know why God decided that he was going to include this. But if you look at chapter number 39, it says there in verse number 6, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Evidently, he was a hunk. I mean, I don't know. He was just he was something. Um, can I just say this? A man who is active and excellent in his work is very attractive over the long haul. Young ladies, the guy that's just, you know, sort of a jerk and rebellious and kind of cool and everything, he may seem like something right now, but if he's not diligent in his work, you're going to be sorry you ever met him. Can I get another amen? Amen. Please listen. Potiphar's wife got involved. She desired him. She wanted to have relations with him. And I won't get graphic, but Joseph regarded yielding to this relentless. It wasn't just once. It was time and again. Every time he was in the house, she would chase him around. And 
relentless temptations. And he regarded those things, first of all, as personal wickedness. It was wicked. Second of all, it was an offense against Potiphar who trusted him in everything. And third of all, and most importantly, he regarded it as a sin against God. He resisted the temptation and he read and he ran. What did he do? He ran. That's a good response for all of us to emulate in times of sexual allurement. I mean, from the first thought in our mind, men, from the first thought in our mind, the proper response is run. Joseph set a beautiful example, flee temptation. What happened because of it? Well, Joseph's integrity cost him. The woman lied about him when he would not lie with her and he, she grabbed him by his coat and he took off running. She kept the coat in her hand. She's aha proof. I'll get him. And so she claimed that he raped her. Potiphar had him arrested and then put him in the palace prison where he would suffer wrong for doing right. Joseph once again is faced with this fact that his dreams are not coming true. This is not what he signed up for. It's two times now. First, he spent some time in a pit, and then he spent some time in Pot- as Potiphar's slave, and now look where he's ended up. He's in Pharaoh's palace prison. So I'm sure he was thinking, what in the world is going on here? What is happening? I mean, I had a different dream than this. How many of your dreams just hadn't quite come true the way you thought they would? Just raise your hand up. <laughs> yeah, I dreamed I'd be six foot seven and have lots of hair, but you know, it just, that's the way it is. So his dreams are not coming true. It's not what he signed up for. Dry pit, Potiphar's slave, the palace prison. Joseph still chose to believe God was doing this. He would keep trusting and keep working. More observations and applications. Many times believers will suffer wrong for doing right. Will you just get that in your head? The fact that you do the right thing under every circumstance is not going to make people stand up and applaud for you every time. Did you know that? People are not going to applaud and give you a hand because you've got character and because you won't lie when they tell you to lie at the workplace or won't cheat. We believers are going to suffer wrong from doing right. Now we saw that hardship was no indicator that God is not with us. And now we see something else in this passage. Hardship was one thing. This is direct persecution for righteousness sake. Now we find out that persecution is no indicator that God is not with us. It says it in the passage over and over and over. Verse chapter 39, verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. Chapter 39, verse 21, and the Lord was with Joseph. Chapter 39, verse 23, and the Lord was with Joseph. Over and over and the Lord was with him. Persecution is no indicator that God has hit the exit. The third thing I see as an observation is that Christians in the will of God do suffer. Is that a surprise to you? Christians in the will of God do suffer. You say, well, I thought that was God's job. God's job is to pad my life, put bumpers on it, make it easy, give me stuff. When I ask him for things, I want him to give them to me and I want them right now. And when I get sick, I want to get well. And when I get persecuted, I want it over with. And I just, I I want it right now. And that's just got to be the will of God. Well, that, that God, that's not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible sometimes has it in his will for us to suffer for a greater purpose. See, on the horizon in the United States of America, it's going to become more and more difficult to say, yes, I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. It's going to get more difficult. Are you ready for that? 
1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12. Beloved. When he says beloved, who's he talking to? Believers, the church. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now listen to verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. What? Are you telling me that it can be God's will and it's written right on the, listen, black ink on white paper under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from the pen of Peter, from the will of the Holy Spirit. It says, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We're to do the work in front of us with the confidence that God is with us even in the dungeons of life. We are to do the work in front of us with the confidence that God is with us even in the dungeons of life. Genesis 39, 21, the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him his mercy. And he gave him favor. Oh, there it is, grace in the Old Testament. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. Boy, he's learning something, isn't he? In Potiphar's house, he was in charge of everything. Put him in the prison, sooner or later, he's going to be in charge of everything. Why? Because he was trustworthy. Because he was a man of integrity, because he was honest, and because he would get the job done. He's in prison, and he's working. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Finally, number five, these are observations and applications. There is never a reason to do less than your best. There is never a reason to do less, less than your best. Good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is your best. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is your best. Do you want me just shoot from the hip on Sunday morning or do you want me to get ready for Sunday morning? Then should anyone else in the task that God has given them do less than their best? Scene four, good works are forgotten. You say, well, look at there, Pastor. See, it didn't do him any good at all. His good works were forgotten. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 1 to 23, the following scenario unfolds. Joseph is serving in the prison. In fact, he's running the place according to the passage. And one day he came upon the butler and the baker of the Pharaoh who both had been demoted and imprisoned for some failure or infraction. Joseph, who had reason for sadness. Now stop and think about this. Who has true reason for disappointment and sadness? I mean, if he wanted to be sad, he could, he could give you some reasons for being sad. Well, you know, I had this dream and God revealed it to me that I was going to be in charge. But look at me. I've been thrown in a pit and then I had to go work at this guy's house and I did everything right. And his wife came after me and she lied about me. Now I'm thrown in this prison. Here I am in this prison grinding away here. And while I'm here, I might as well do something. I'm doing all this stuff. 
But his countenance and his encouragement did not come from his circumstances because here he is, now listen to this, here he is justified in his disappointment and discouragement, but get, which who's noticing that who is discouraged? Joseph noticed that the butler and the baker are down and out. Are you that kind of person? Are you the kind of person that, you know, you're just so wrapped up totally, completely in whatever's happening to you that you can't even contemplate that there's another person on the planet who might have a problem? Joseph entrusted himself. He's okay, God, you have given me this vision. I know something. I know you're working. This is hard. I don't like it. I'm not having a good time. I mean, this place stinks and rats are running everywhere, but you know what? I'm going to do the best I can. And he did. And he's doing his rounds one day and he comes up on the butler and the baker and they're very sad. And he had to find out what was going on. Well, it turns out they were sad because they'd had some troubling dreams. He said, well, tell me your dreams. They heard that he heard the dreams and then he told them the interpretation. And it happened just like he said it was going to happen. I won't even go through the whole story except to say that the butler was released and returned to his position. And the baker was hanged and the birds pecked at his head. That's the end of the story. Joseph asked these people in verse number 14, please remember me. I'm innocent. I do not deserve being here. Please, if you see the Pharaoh, since you serve him, tell him about me and that I've interpreted your dreams. And verse 33 says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. How many of you have ever been forgotten even for the good deeds you've done? <laughs> So um, here's an observation and application one. It's right to do right even when unrewarded. It is right to do right even when unrewarded. It's right to do the right thing even when unrewarded because your reward is later. God is not absent. It's right to do right even when unrewarded. And then second, it's not surprising that people forget us. <laughs> Did you ever get forgotten in a process? Mm. It's not surprising that people forget us. Number three, remember this, God never forgets us. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad. You know why he never forgets us? Because the New Testament says in the book of John chapter 10, it says that I'm in Jesus' hands. Jesus is in God's hand and I'm right there and everything that's happening to me is happening in his hands. Going through a hard time, it's happening in his hands. You having a difficult time in whatever situation you are in life, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a work situation, I don't, it doesn't matter, whichever one it is, whatever is happening to you right now is happening in his hands. Brother Tom said on the phone the other day when he picked it up and I was talking to him, he said, Phil, how are you? I said, Tom, I'm calling to find out how are you? He said, oh, it's all all right because you know it's all happening in God's hands. You wonder why he's my mentor. God never forgets us. And God is doing something with us even when it hurts. God is doing something with us even when it hurts. Scene five and finally, Pharaoh's prime minister. We can't read the whole story. It covers Genesis 41 to 50. The question is this. How do you go from prison to the palace in a matter of hours? How do you go from powerless to powerful in a flash? 
Well, one thing we need to know is that the promotion doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west. It comes from above. Doesn't come from people around you. It comes from God Almighty. I could spend weeks talking about the amazing rise to power that Joseph experienced, but it wasn't about Joseph. It's about God and his work. The highlights are that Pharaoh now is the one who's having the dreams. He has these dreams and his soothsayers and his wise men and his astrologers and astronomers are just clueless. The butler remembered his prison partner who could interpret dreams. And he comes and he actually says to the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I must confess my fault. I fail to remember to you a man, Joseph, who interpreted my dream. And it happened just as he said, well, call him, Pharaoh said. Joseph got a quick bath and a shave and got a new set of clothes and he stood before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked about his reputation for interpreting dreams and then he confessed and he said this, look, I I can't interpret dreams, but God can. You know, he's given God the glory from the very first. He was not confident in self and he was not ashamed of his God. Please, everyone, remember that we're not going anywhere to make a difference in this culture as long as our mouth is shut about who our God is. Oh, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Are you ashamed of Jesus? How can we do that when the apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God. Let's not be ashamed of Jesus today. Say amen. Let's don't be ashamed of our savior. Don't be ashamed of God almighty. Don't be ashamed to tell who you belong to. You say, well, it might cost me. It might, but you'll be rewarded one day immensely because of your faithfulness to Jesus. You say, are you angry? No, I'm happy. I'm happy because God remembers every labor of love that we give him. Luke 9, 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. Yeah, I know him, but he was ashamed of me. Mm. He heard about the fat cows. They were Iowa cows. He heard about the skinny cows. They were Nebraska cows. Just kidding. Just, just joking. He heard about the healthy corn and he heard about the bleak corn. No more, no more illustrations needed. He predicted seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. He then told Pharaoh what to do about it. Look, I've got an idea, a point, a wise administrator to save up one fifth of all the product during the seven years of abundance. And then you can survive the seven years of famine. You're standing before the king of the world. You just got out of jail. Hey guys, some of you guys, you're here. You haven't been out of jail long. Don't cut yourself short what God can do with you. God can do anything he wants with anybody. He can strike a mighty lick with a crooked stick. I'm telling you. Now you just listen. Pharaoh listened. He scratched his chin and he said, good idea. You're the guy. Look here. You are now number two in the kingdom. Here is my signet ring of authority. Here's a royal robe and a gold chain. Here's my royal chariot. Oh, you don't have a wife? Well, here's a beautiful princess for you. And now go forth and save the nation. 
And let's make this official. Joseph, you're going to be known as Zephanath Paneah. That means revealer of secret and God speaks because he lives. Even, even Pharaoh knew this guy was something. Everybody's got to bow down to you, Genesis 41, 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh and he received his commission. He went through 13 years of drudgery before he finally got to this spot. Observations and applications. God is with us at every step of the way in life, including our workplace. Amen? Amen. We must grow where we are planted. You want to become, you want to get the job you want, do the job you have to the best of your ability. Grow where you're planted. Let me just add to it. Every job is important and we must give it our best. 1976, I was working at the United Parcel Service. It used to be called the United Parcel Service, but political correctness made them call it UPS only. I worked at UPS at the Jefferson Street Street Hub in Chicago trying to work my way through college. And I had a hard time making a connection between the call of God to preach the gospel and these boxes that were drowning me at Christmas. As I stood on the mezzanine and they unloaded these trucks and they were just burying me, I had a terrible attitude. God, can you please find me a different job? And it was as if the Lord says, well, if you learn how to do this one pretty good, I might give you a different one. So instead of looking at those boxes that were burying me as some sort of a curse, I decided to give God the glory. And I said, I am going to be the fastest sorter in the history of this whole place. God did reward me. And I won't go into that story. Every job is important and we must give it our best. I looked at those boxes as the way I was going to be able to get prepared to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every box was an amen. And the next one was a hallelujah. Like Joseph, we need to learn from every job. Joseph was an extraordinary administrator by the time he got to Pharaoh. Did you know that? Where'd he learn that? Well, his dad gave him a bunch of jobs when he was young. He did that pretty good. Then he went to Potiphar's house and he gave him some jobs and he did that in an incredible way. Made the man very, very wealthy. Then he went to Pharaoh's prison and he ran the prison like nobody such that to the point that the prison keeper didn't have to do anything. He asked Joseph what was going on. And the next thing you know, he's got all these administrative skills and he is sitting beside the king of the world, administrating and saving many people. With Joseph's diligence and God's blessing, he was unequal. How wonderful, somebody's going to say, Joseph's ship finally came in. All of his diligence and hard work paid off. Now he can enjoy the fruit of his labors and reflect on his journey. Folks, if we think that's what it was all about, we probably think that's what our jobs are about. We probably think our job is about this. It's about get to the top, enjoy the benefits, get some more extra discretionary cash, enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. The answer is no. Joseph was blessed indeed. He was rewarded indeed, but his purpose was not to get to the place of glory and have people think he's really something. His purpose was to save people and he knew it. Listen to Genesis 45, five. Now do not therefore speaking to his brothers when they figured out they sold him into slavery. They hated him. They, I mean, they maligned him. They did everything they could to just eliminate him because they hated him. 
Joseph understood that God was working even in the hardships, the difficulties, and the betrayals of life. And he said, no, don't therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here because God sent me before you to preserve life. It's about God's greater purpose of saving people and thus glorifying his name. So you got this on your sheet. It's really the single point of the whole sermon. All of this has been getting you ready for this single point. What is my job about? It's about my daily witness. I am a witness. Witness is not just something you do in the sense of sharing the gospel. Witness is something that you are. It's about my daily witness. Your workplace is God's glory place. It's a place provided for a believer to serve, shine, and glorify God. Your workplace is your service center where, like Joseph, you can serve your fellow man. Your workplace is the crossroads of man's needs and Christ's hope. Your workplace is where you give your best, where you gain credibility, and where you open hearts to the gospel. Your workplace is your calling. And if you are not diligent in your present calling, it's doubtful you will get another calling with even more influence. We're to glorify God in every situation, yet the workplace puts us in contact with people who need the Lord every day of our life. People who are excellent in their work have tremendous opportunities. We talk erroneously about full-time Christian service. There is no such thing as a part-time Christian or a part-time witness. We do not punch a clock when we arrive to church and become, we're on the clock to be a Christian and we punch out when we leave. No such thing. We're always on the clock. We're always a witness. I just want to challenge you, brothers and sisters. It's Labor Day. Thank God for our jobs. I pray you can make every penny that the Lord allows you to make. I pray that you can pad your nest and get the car you want and the vacation you want. I pray for all of those things to be done, but I pray that you don't miss the point. You are planted by God Almighty among a set of people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are the best hope they have of getting it. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, help us be those people who are excellent in our work. Help it to be irrefutable in our workplaces that we're honest and full of integrity, no scheming or conniving. Help us to be honest, straightforward, tell the truth, to work the required time, to not cost the company but to benefit the company. And if we are an employer, Lord, help us to demand it of our people and set the example of it for our people. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Joseph. And I know there's a bigger picture here of Christ. But oh, what an example he is to us about how to be excellent in our work. Because if you see a man who is excellent in his work, he will not be before the obscure. He will be before kings. Thank you for this day. Bless my people. Impress upon their hearts how much you love them, how much you never leave them or forsake them, how much you care for them, and how you have proved it by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross 
to take their sins away. Thank you so very much for being our God, the God, the only God. Help us believe you when you say, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you're here today on Labor Day. You can go back to work on Tuesday morning. (laughs) And I want you to see a grinning face of Pastor Phil in your mind. (laughs) Say, let's be excellent in our work. God bless you. Thanks for being in church today. Greet one another and let's go our way serving the Lord with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, God bless you.